Hello, and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Mobile working has taxed security teams and senior management for years. Should employees be allowed to choose their devices? How can they be used securely to access business data? And should we be able to choose how, when and where to work? The worldwide coronavirus crisis has forced organisations of all sizes to move rapidly to remote working. Mobile devices have proved to be the best and sometimes the only tool available. But the trend to greater mobility was already gathering pace, even before COVID-19. Neil Thacker is CISO at Netscope and an advisory board member at the Cloud Security Alliance. He says the volume of business data handled outside the office has surprised some security experts. I think organisations are realising actually if they look at their the traditional kind of traffic profile of an employee when they were in the office, that there was still a higher percentage of of activity that occurred when they were away from the office. Um, so as an example, I mean, I get up at 6am, I check my email on my phone for 30 minutes, I uh, get up and get ready. And then I, if I'm traveling to the office or I'm traveling to a, um, a customer's office or a, um, a an event, um, I could spend an hour to two hours traveling and I'm typically working uh, while I'm traveling. Um, so I think when we actually start looking at those examples, and, and then obviously that goes into the evenings as well, people check email, people like to collaborate and catch up using uh, cloud-based applications at that time, realize that actually the majority of, of people's workday is actually remote. Even if they are based in the office nine till five, they're still spending uh, at least a few hours outside of that working. The kind of traditional profile of just being in the office and on work, staying in the office when you leave, Uh, doesn't really resonate today. But that does vary across sectors. In high security environments, from finance to defence, controls on who can work where are typically tighter. The challenge then is to provide on-site levels of security to staff on the road, says Bridget Kenyon, a MIA CISO at Tala's Digital Identity and Security Group. There is a a fairly clear distinction between being on a Tala's site and not being on a TALIS site. So for our purposes, when we talk about mobile working, um, we really think about not being on a TALIS site. So that could include home working, as well as being in a restaurant, cafe, (laughs) airport, on on those occasions when such things are possible. Physically getting onto a site of any company requires you to go through doors, pass reception, maybe swipe a badge, possibly use some other kind of identification to prove that you are who you say you are. So once you've got through that that perimeter, there's been a level of, of due diligence, a level of checking of your identity and your authorization to be where you are. If you take away the physical um, presence, you've removed a level of certainty that the person who says they are person X really is that person and in fact has the authority to do something. In most organisations, if you work remotely, um, you have an option potentially of using your own device or using a device that is issued by your organisation. If your organisation chooses to allow you to use your own device, 
they have to apply additional controls or additional checks to ensure that that device is appropriate and suitably secure. If that device is issued by them, they can uh, mandate such security a lot more easily. Physically walking into a task site takes effort and takes badges and authorization and all sorts. Remotely, you've got to have something that is equivalent. And that's really where remote working has an additional aspect on the technical side that isn't the same as if you were physically in the office. The trend for mobile working is extending beyond knowledge workers and even sales and engineering teams. Frontline workers are now starting to receive mobile tools too. This is extending the scope of mobility to tasks including security, maintenance and cleaning, explains Mike Elliott, CEO at Oversee, a facilities management company. These are areas where businesses are now starting to invest. And frontline workers need to stay in contact with managers and customers who might now be working from home. Pretty much everyone that needs a laptop has a laptop and every sort of uh, operation um, that uh, warehouses that need digitalizing have all been done. And the last front of, of non-digital enablement has been the front line. And so that was already starting to happen, which is why you're seeing products like Teams from Microsoft, uh, a, a lot of these companies now focusing on frontline workers. And I think Gartner had, had specified that 40% of all expenditure for IT is now being spent on digitally transforming the frontline. So it very much is uh, in, in key focus. Digitally enabling a cleaner or a security guard uh, you know, a maintenance worker, the, the investment is way repaid many, many, many times over um, from a productivity point of view, from a employee retention point of view. So, so it, it is finally filtered down and, and, and it, it has been um, a situation whereby providing a cleaner with a um, 300 pounds device with an airtime connection, you know, pr previously was just wasn't uh, viable. But nowadays, where you have unlimited data and good ruggedized devices, the enablement for these people is now there where it wasn't previously. How critical is security in these processes? And is that something that a lot of people you work with actually prioritize? Or is it something that they're relying on maybe the hardware vendors or the network operators to fix for them? I think it's a bit of both. I think that there is still some sort of nervousness of how much corporate data is on a device um, and, and where how do I control where that goes. And, and there's a big trade-off because a lot of companies were using mobile device management type platforms, but this alienated the workforce. It's quite an interesting uh, conundrum. You have a security guard who has the latest iPhone, and then you have the corporate company that gives him a rugged device that's locked down, that really has such little features other than to do maybe one or two reporting functions. So straight away, we have an individual who has the capacity and the capability to use technology, but because of security, we're reducing the interaction that we're going to have with that person. And that's not good from a culture or a communication point. How do we motivate and empower an individual with the technology to do their job? Do you think then that the security element has been overlooked? 
I wouldn't say it's been been overlooked. I think again, if you depend, it really depends upon what venue are you are you operating in. So there'll be some venues that may be uh, big manufacturing, maybe pharmaceutical, which will have some very very strict requirements because of they would want. Uh, intrinsically safe devices and they would want to make sure that for instance maybe cameras can't be used on a device for protection so I think I, I don't think that security is overlooked or, or overthought I think that the, the missing piece is if we're going to tech enable somebody to do something then we have to do that in a way that understands what their role is rather than just simply locking a device down the devices and technology have got an awful lot smarter than they used to be. You know, we can switch certain features off on a mobile device in areas where we don't want them to be used and switch them back on again, where areas that they can be used. So I don't think it's been overlooked, but what I do think, if you think again about the workforce and where they're going into, it is a complex process that you're asking um, an industry that are not, they're not a technical industry. They need assistance in order to put that type of process in place. As Elliot says, the technology has got smarter, but security is about more than locking devices down. Fortunately, the tools for managing mobile security have improved, suggests Bridget Kenyon. The technology in some cases is very adequate, but it also somewhat impedes um, what a user would expect to experience. So at the moment, you've got um, technologies which are capable of restricting everything, but the, the ability to set a comfortable balance, which gives a user a similar um, working experience to the experience they would have on site, that's where it gets tricky. For a while, people were saying we're treating mobile and remote as different concepts. In my mind, they're just the same thing. The more consistent you can keep it when somebody's on site versus off site, the less training you have to do. They don't have to learn two environments. So, and also, you've got this um, trendy new phrase, zero trust, haven't you? Yes. Where you assume that even if someone is physically in a, a secure location and they're on the, on the uh, organization's network, that that isn't necessarily going to save you. So you say, okay, well, we'll assume everything's um, hostile. And then we, we look at what information we value. And then we put protections around that. And we make it, you know, multi-layered, defense in depth, I think is the uh, phrase that everybody still uses. If something fails, something else should um, at least help to uh, save you. Simplicity, then, is one of the keys to mobile security. But are bad actors targeting mobile devices and, moreover, mobile workers? Neil Thacker thinks they might. With this broader attack surface, the likelihood of compromise is, is much higher. As more people start using more and more devices, again, more than just a, a corporate device for accessing uh, certain systems and applications with, with cloud and mobile. But now we're seeing more mobile malware targeting at um, gaining persistence and even looking at gaining access to privileged access to the device to gain access to the data and potential and potential applications and, and the data that resides from there. So, I mean, Excel pool was one example where um, it will, it would basically reinfect the, the device. Every, if you wipe the device because there, you realize there was some malware on this, uh, you would um, um, you would wipe the device. You would reset it to factory. You would you would set it all up and 
XHelper would reinstall. It would actually reinfect the device. Um, we've seen things with uh, Triada, which was, again, this was the example I mentioned before, where firmware was already embedded in the device. So mobile malware, any type of malware targeting remote devices, um, as more people use them, as more people rely on them, of course, will increase. And, and there's always going to be new techniques uh, that, uh, again, the bad guys will, will look to to use to gain access to those devices. I don't think we fully understood, um, even with pandemic planning, um, that there could be potentially a shortage of, of devices. So I think what it wasn't necessarily neglected. It was perhaps misunderstood. And from a risk perspective, I think we've seen, and again, I've, we've, we've had a, um, a huge interest in um, organizations approaching Netscope as, as, as one example um, around, well, now I've got the device. How do I actually control data on the device? How do I actually uh, uh, again control what that device can access in terms of my corporate applications and my corporate devices? I don't think those things were fully, fully understood. Um, how do I best authenticate uh, that device? Do I need to blacklist certain devices because I don't, I'm not happy with their posture? Um, have I thought about um, authentication? Is the authentication good enough? I mean, we've seen a big run of uh, credential stuffing attacks and, and uh, MFA attacks where, again, authentication has been compromised uh, as part of that. So um, were those things perhaps thought about? Um, I think during, I mean, even in a post-pandemic world, even if we have a, a, a larger than previous uh, remote workforce, those are the things that have to be considered i think and that's a strategic plan that i think organizations will need to be put in place and i think that's where the it's not neglect it's just understanding and i think we've been we've gone through that phase of triage right now um in the first few weeks of the lockdown where we've actually realized that actually there are some critical uh, services uh, critical business processes that we need to support and we've highlighted that there's been some risk associated to them. How would you recommend that organisations identify these risks and come up with a strategy to mitigate, reduce, block? For most organisations, if it comes down to certain devices, um, it's very difficult to do that. Um, uh, now, if you wanted to look at uh, certain types of malware on, on, a, on a mobile device, for instance, you would need a specialist software and you would have a specialist team that perhaps may just look at that. I think for most organizations, the, the simple approach is to make sure that they know what type of devices are connecting to their applications that they're, that they're hosting, either, again, cloud or um, from a, a kind of legacy on-premise perspective. You need to know which devices are connected into those applications. Um, you need to know what data is potentially being taken from those devices um, and also which data is being downloaded to those devices from those applications also. Um, that would be the the, um, the simple control to apply first. So running a level of um, posture management or posture assessment when that device connects, knowing um, that it's also it's an employee that you expect to be accessing that device at that point in time. So um, thinking about it from a, again, time-based activity. And also, um, again, does, does their baseline activity look normal or are they, is it a smash and grab uh, type level of activity. Those are things that would easily identify that potentially you have a device out there that is compromised. Or um, it also covers the issue that somebody's making a mistake, uh, that they're accidentally potentially downloading data to a personal device that they shouldn't be doing so. So that's where, um, from a controls perspective, reverse proxy. A reverse proxy 
would help an organization um, block that type of activity when it's considered suspicious or malicious. Mike Elliott agrees. Attacks on mobile workers are inevitable. Whatever technology that, that's, that's released, there will always be somebody that will try and target. It's, it's, it is why we see sometimes uh, an uh, over-eager <laughs> uh, emphasis on locking down what certain people can and cannot do. Um, at, the, at, the same, at the same time, the, the, the types of, uh, of ways that these things and these processes can be protected and very much are usually is through going through third party gateways um, and that you're not directly connected to the sensitivity of the, of the venue or the customer or wherever it is that this data is going. So there are, there are ways in which we can, we can uh, reduce that risk, but there will always be um, uh, people out there that will try and find vulnerabilities and exploit them. Is there a gap in protection that's been caused by some of the rapid deployments of digital technology? Every technology that rolls out at the beginning always comes with vulnerabilities and, you know, technology matures and with maturity, um, you solve and find and find the holes. And I don't think that that's something that will ever, ever change. There's a trade-off between how much you can test and test your own um, whether it be software, whether it be hardware, whether it be protocols, whether it be VPN gateways, whatever they are, there will always be someone that will find something. So I think it's impossible to release any product, uh, whatever it might be, without there being some vulnerability in there. And so, yes, we, we have seen even some of the, the, the most secure things that we would expect, such as banks, do find themselves in situations where they have to rapidly fix holes that, that are brought to their attention. Organisations will also have different levels of maturity when it comes to securing their mobile and remote workforces, says Neil Thacker. You have to be aware that not everybody has 20 years of information security experience. Not everybody has taken that red pill and fully understands these things. So there are always going to be accidental uh, mistakes being made, errors being made in the use of this. And it's the best way of involving people in this is to offer them advice when they're about to take an action that represents a risk to the organization. So, uh, and that would be a case of, again, should I be, or again, should I be connecting this device to, to, the, to the network? Should I be connecting this device to an application? A cloud application should I be uh, uploading or downloading this data to again that service should I even be using that service to begin with so that's where I think we we can definitely help with better understanding the human factor there's privacy that needs to be considered also because we don't necessarily need to look at applications that are considered being used for personal use if somebody has a, a personal device that they're using even as an interim measure uh, during the pandemic or even post-pandemic, we need to make sure that we're not um, applying our security controls to that type of traffic unless they're accidentally trying to upload corporate data to that personal uh, instance. So this is where I think we need to we need to be considerate of the human factors, but education first uh, and look at controls uh, as part of that part of that process. The answer is both technical and a question of training and awareness. But are we moving away from viewing mobile working as a distinct security risk, which needs its own unique defences? Bridget Kenyon thinks so. We already have started as, as a 
as a planet, if you like, to move to remote working bit by bit by bit. And we'd hit a tipping point in, well, the organisations I've worked with and in over the last three years where enough people were working remotely that the risks had to be taken seriously. And things like um, encryption of, of all mobile devices had started to be not just something you thought about or something you tried to get a budget for. It's not, it, was, it was becoming completely normal. And in fact, something not being encrypted was a surprise. So, yes, yeah, so a few years ago, this could have been quite a tremendous surprise for everyone. But now it's it's more that everyone is becoming normalized on this concept of, you know, protecting devices that are local as well as remote. And you get to a point where you start applying things like hardware encryption to everything. You don't worry about whether it's going to be trotting around the universe. And this is being driven by changes in how we want to work. Changes that the last few months have brought to the fore. Workers, Neil Thacker says want flexibility i think most if you ask most workers and I, I can't speak to everybody but most workers they would actually prefer to have more time being remote than perhaps in the office that, that may not account for everybody but i think most people would say yes i want to be more uh, remote and have more flexibility there and if you ask employers as well i mean there is a cost saving to not having people in an office um uh and but necessarily you don't need to say well you need to be in the office every day but we would like to be you to be in the office for two or three days a week. Uh, and that there is that kind of additional option of, of flexibility. And I think that would be a great uh, middle ground for most organizations, not all, but most organizations. And I think during kind of the first few weeks of the pandemic, I, I mentioned before that most organizations went through a triage phase of looking at where they had critical processes, business processes that needed to be up and running and that they needed to continue with those. And then we're in, we moved into a tactical phase um, uh, I think we're still in that kind of coming to all the, the end of that tactical phase, more into kind of post 60 day, 90 day, moving into a strategic phase. And I think what, what happens is that each one of those phases, it carries on um, with things we've learned um, and um, risks that we've been, been able to identify and controls we've had to put in. And I, I think what we've seen is that the controls actually weren't that difficult to apply. Um, where perhaps when we tried to do that before for remote workers, it was it was very difficult. There wasn't enough justification to do so. So I think we're in this, we call this, I think everyone talks about this new world uh, post-pandemic. And I think there, there, wouldn't, there, there will be changes. I think there will be more flexibility. And I think um, it will be open to organizations to decide how they want to move forward as well uh, in terms of that. I, I know at, at Netscape, um, it's been clear Again, we won't be rushing people back into our offices. Um, people will have a choice to continue working from home. Uh, people with underlying uh, health conditions, of course, um, it could be uh, it could be much longer. They, it could be going back into 2021. Um, so th I think all those things need, need to be considered for most organisations, and that's where I feel part of the. Um, I feel great that I'm part of this, the uh, the security team. And I can help uh, with our organization, helping make those decisions that don't introduce new risks to us. Uh, and I think we're also seeing a, a new generation of, of workers coming into the workforce um, and um, their friends and colleagues around them. When we talk about the gig economy, everyone's freelance, everyone's working and coming up with ideas in their kind of spare time. And uh, they, they kind of need to work and collaborate uh, outside of those normal office hours. 
we're seeing this flexibility. I think most organizations that had a very strict policy perhaps around mobile workers um, has perhaps relaxed. Um, and that's where I think we've all, we've seen that in, I mean, even longer than five years, I think over, I mean, 10 years ago, when we first started seeing iPads uh, in the office and iPhones and Android devices, there was this concern that um, uh, having a secondary device or a th uh, kind of a, a third device would would uh, is, is a concern for a CISO because it's it's something you potentially may not control. Um, we've gone through uh, almost over 10 years now of going through of phases looking at what controls we can apply. And I think initially it was around segregating that data, sandboxing everything away. But there's been a real push for employees to say, actually, I want to use my device the way I want to use my device and I want to consume um, services the way I, I traditionally consume services. And I think security has been um, uh, been there to support that uh, that that decision and that choice um, without um, getting in the way of it. So I think the issue with uh, traditional security has been to say no, uh, and we've heard this. I think most people talk about this kind of this. This has gone away completely, but it's now we now to need, need to more accurately measure the risk associated to using those devices in that way. So a different view of risk needs different responses from security teams. As Bridget Kenyon says, it's about being led by the business. You sit with the business, you plan, you, you identify what the business wants to achieve. Do they want to go fully back? Bearing in mind, we don't know the timescales upon which that might be possible, but what is the desired end state? What are the next steps? And you talk to the business as they're designing the next steps and you say, well, okay, that you'd like to have like 15 people going back into the office have we have we made sure that the security um, measures do we, are we do we still have a receptionist if we're relying on a receptionist to um, vet people as they come in the building is that going to be um, the absence of receptionist do we have to think about maybe putting it just making sure there's a camera on the door so somebody can be keeping an eye on the camera of voila a virtual receptionist um, so you know you you work through the business processes and you see where there might be gaps because there are fewer people or because you've got a different way of working. You work out which of them actually matter. Sometimes you find out you've been overdoing security in a particular area and you can ramp it back perfectly efficiently. Some, sometimes you realise that there's been a problem there all along and that's where it gets messy because you've got a problem which you now know about but it wasn't part, it isn't caused by the return to work it's a separate issue and you just have to then risk assess it and prioritize it accordingly you and you be probably best off treating it separately from the return to work activity or it can just bog everything down inevitably there will be some security shortcomings in areas where technology was deployed quickly during the crisis and securing mobile and remote workers will need to be part of an organization's top level plan to return to business as usual what we need to do is be driven by um, business requirements and business priorities, because that is going to determine how much time, money and effort people have to spend on different aspects of the organisation as a whole. Security is there to support reliable business operations. If we start defining a set of um, security things that must happen, um, we're essentially saying that security runs the business, not the other way around. So what is important is to start with what the business needs to do to keep running, what the business priorities are, and what is higher priority than what else. Bearing in mind that the business needs adequate information to understand the risks related to security. 
So security can't just sort of sit there and wait for business to tell them what to do. It, they have to be an active partner in the decision-making process, but they cannot make the decisions for the business. So in a practical sense, you've got people going back to work. You potentially, as you say, got reduced numbers of offices, um, reduced on-site presence. In fact, that is likely to be the case, even if you were to aim for everyone back on site, there will be a transitional phase. For example, social distancing isn't going to go away anytime soon. And you can do, so you talk about what the business wants to do. Do you want to try and go back with a few people? If so, what what are the risks? What can you do to control those risks? And it's not just security risks. It can be risks to health and safety. If you've got just one person present in an office, what happens if they fall over and hit their head? If, you know, so it, it's, you have to look at this holistically. You can't have security sort of diving in at the last minute going, but have you thought of? Equally, you can't have everybody saying, well, security, tell us how to go back to work. Richard Kenyon on how the new normal will put new demands on security teams and how security will need to change to support the organisation in the post-COVID-19 transition. We'll be back with our next show on securityinsights.co.uk in two weeks' time. Meanwhile, thank you to our guests and thank you for listening.